If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. And we are gearing up today. This is going to be the first of a 16-week series as we're going to walk through the entire Gospel of Mark. Our series is called This is Jesus. And as I've been preparing uh, this last year, I was thinking about what's something that we want to do in 2020. If you've been part of Bridge for any period of time, you know that we do a variety of different things in the, in the, uh, the services for our messages. Sometimes our messages are topical. So we'll ask a question or we'll grab different scriptures that answer a question in a series. Sometimes we'll do more of an expository teaching where we'll just walk through elements of the Bible. We'll take a whole book and we'll just go through that. Last year we did that with the book of Ecclesiastes. You might remember when we did that earlier in the year. Uh, and that was exciting. I was encouraged to do that. Um, this year we're taking a four month series period, basically a topic, and we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark. Every week, we're going to take a chapter in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to highlight what one of the big themes are in that, in that chapter and how it relates to us specifically. And after thinking about why we were doing this and what the right thing would be to do, I settled on doing the Gospel of Mark for a few reasons. The first is we need to be about encouraging people to be in scriptures together. We live in a world where it is not about what we know. Sometimes it's about the latest soundbite. And people learn based on soundbites. And I think we're actually doing a disservice to ourselves, taking all of our information based on what people tell us in little clips. We're becoming, uh, and not to, to, to criticize anyone who may suffer with the disorder, but we're becoming like an ADD generation, if you will, where we only hear little bits and pieces of things and then we extrapolate and say, well, now we know everything because someone told us, you know, 30 seconds of something. The word of God is the thing I believe that transforms us and is the thing that, that really is designed to renew our minds. We need to be in the word. And that's the first reason why I think going through it together is really important. Um, the second reason I think it's important for us to go through um, scripture and to look at it specifically in the gospel of Mark is because we really need to understand who Jesus is. If I asked you today, assuming you're a Christian, for those of you that are Christians, why you're a Christian, you might give me one of many different answers. Some of them will be the same, I would hope so, but sometimes people make misunderstandings or they have a misunderstanding that they say things like, I'm a Christian because the Bible says I'm a Christian if I do these things. I'm a Christian because I go to church I'm a Christian because of tradition. I'm a Christian because my dad was a Christian and my mom was a Christian. Everyone else I knew grew up in was Christian and I've gone through all the events. And, and some people do that. And there are people in this world that they walk through their lives affiliating with a fellowship or a, a um, religion and they've just done it all of their lives. And they don't really know necessarily why they would call themselves a Christian aside from the things they've associated themselves with. None of those things make you a Christian. None of those things make me a Christian. I'm not a Christian because the Bible tells me I'm a Christian. If I do the certain things the Bible tells me, that doesn't make me a Christian. What makes me a Christian is how I see Jesus. What makes me a Christian is how I view Jesus. Who is he? What did he do for me? And do I believe in his work? It's not about what the word says I'm not saying the word isn't valuable. It's not about because the Bible says. We live in a world sometimes where people say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Can I tell you, 
most of the people in our country and in our, in our world, they don't care what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Bible says, the, well, the Bible's not even their authority. It's just another book. When I was in high school, we studied the Bible in high school. I was so excited until the teacher said, we are not looking at this from a religious perspective. We're looking at it from an from a, um, English and poetic perspective. We're going to examine the literature of the Bible. So people see value in the words, but they don't see it the same way that we say. So saying we're a Christian because the Bible says so is not necessarily the truth. I think it needs to be more specific. Why do we believe what we say we believe and who is Jesus? That answers the question of whether or not we are a follower of Christ and we are Christians. And when we know who Jesus really is, it doesn't just make our salvation more assured. We're not really more confident in our salvation alone, but we are also able to grow closer to him because we need to know who Jesus is. I'm convinced about all the, among all the other things or above all the other things, people have walked through the Bible and talked about what you should do and shouldn't do. And maybe you grew up in church, maybe part of you grew up in this church or other churches and you heard people say, this is what you have to do and this is what you don't have to do. Here's how you're supposed to live and here's how you're not supposed to live. And, and these rules and these guidelines have defined whether or not you are doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. And in the absence of really knowing Jesus, those things just sound like work. We do them out of obligation, not because we have an opportunity to know him. I believe over the next 16 weeks, if we take some time and really just strip away all the other stuff and we just say, God, show us who your son is. Let's open up the Gospels, and for every week, for 16 weeks, let's look at the Gospels, and let's ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus? Reveal to us who Jesus is. The more we get to know the real Jesus, guys, the more our heart's going to be to want to serve him and walk in relationship with him. I'm convinced of that. Then it doesn't become about what guidelines someone tells us to do, what the right things are and the wrong things are, and what I should do and what I shouldn't do. No, Jesus is who he says he is, and when we get to know him and we get to know how he sees us and how he sees mankind and what his mission was and how he he just, just gave everything he could to love us, the more we see him for who he is, the more we will want to be close to him. And then everything else around us doesn't hold as much authority over our lives. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look specifically at the Gospel of Mark. There are four different Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus as he was on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the fourth one? All right, good, John. But we're only going to look at Mark, and here's why. Each Gospel actually focuses on the life of Jesus with a different flair and a different perspective. The Gospel of John is really where we encourage people to look, especially when they're trying to learn more about Jesus from the beginning and they're brand new in their faith, or if they need to get back to the foundations, because the Gospel of John talks about the words of Jesus. What did Jesus actually say? And it's really important to understand what he said. If you don't know what somebody says, you have no idea what they believe. You have to know the word that he says. And we know that the Scripture says that words are words of life. In the the Word of God, we see that his words bring life. And we want to hear his words so his words can be planted in our hearts. We are looking at the Gospel of Mark, though, because where the Gospel of John examines what Jesus said, the Gospel of Mark examines what Jesus did. We're not looking at just what he said. We're looking at what he did. His actions matter. And we want to know. If you really want to know what somebody's about, think about this, right? What's the phrase? Actions speak louder than words, right? I can tell someone all I want. 
how significant they are to me. And if my life is not representative of those words, if I'm not backing it up with what I do, it doesn't matter what I say. Right? If you don't believe me and you're married, try it. (laughs) Don't try it. (laughs) But seriously, if you tried it next week, you guys would come in and if you're smiling today, you wouldn't be smiling next week. Because you can say all you want. You can say all you want. And the words don't mean anything if they're not backed up with actions. That's why February 14th, though it's Valentine's Day and everyone goes out and does everything for their honey buns and their boo-boo bears and whatever they do, everyone goes out and does fun things. Listen, if you're not doing things throughout the year for your spouse, can I just be honest with you? Don't do it on the 14th of February. Don't do it. You know why? Because everybody does it. I'm being honest here. Don't do it. Well, I mean, like everybody said I'm supposed to do this. Wow, that means a lot. Thanks a lot. You know, do it on the 15th. Everything's half price anyway. (laughs) Being honest. Do it on the 18th. Do it on the 20th. Go ask your wife. Would you rather have a dozen roses that are overpriced on the 14th or would you want to have a rose a a month for 12 months? Ask her which one matters most. Guys, you know, I don't know. You want roses, but whatever works for you, you know? The same thing. Actions speak louder than words. And if you're going to say it, we have to back it up with with our actions. And this is really hard sometimes for us to practice. But can I tell you, the master of this was Jesus. Because he didn't just say what mattered to him. He did what mattered to him. So we're going to look at his actions. And my hope during this time as we walk through this is that you will gain such a clear understanding of who Christ is by his actions that you'll be compelled to draw closer to him. And then it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Because knowing him keeps you close to him. Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at a few different verses across chapter 1, but you can put your finger in verse 40, and we're going to get there in a little bit. But this message today, in the big message, uh, really begins in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to jump around in slides a little bit, so we're going to go to the couple slides down. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And we're going to see what I believe summarizes the nature of who Jesus is and what he was about, beginning in verse 7. Mark chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. And this was his message. This is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus after he sees him. He says, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John gives us a little bit of a hint into the mission of Jesus. That Jesus didn't just come, as Doug said earlier, he didn't just come as God and, and, and just proclaim that he was God. He came and the scripture said, stripped himself of his divine nature, taking the humble form of a servant. And as a man, he came, grew in wisdom and stature in the things of God for the sole mission of of baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to unpack what that means a little bit, but I'm going to say it this way. His mission was this. Jesus is committed to a mission of restoring relationship between us and God. If you want to know who he really is, this is Jesus. He is committed to his mission of restoring relationship between us and God. This is why he came to earth. Absolutely committed to the mission God's will of bridging the gap again, making a way so that we could be in relationship with the Father. Nothing separates us from him. 
This is his mission. I'm going to say it again because we have to remember this as we walk through the entire gospel of Mark. Jesus is committed, guys, to his mission. And it was restoring relationship between us and God. Everything he did was motivated in bringing restoration between us and God. Every word he spoke, every time he healed, every, every compassionate act he gave was not about the act. It was about pointing people to God. It was about pointing people to knowing God, to having relationship with God. He didn't do things just for the moment. He did things because in his actions, he strategically did things to point people to God. Another way of saying this, if you want to simplify that and you want to make it easy, Jesus is all in. When it comes to your relationship with God and my relationship with God and building that relationship, Jesus is all in. Now, some of us know what that concept is like. What does it mean to be all in? It means you're all in. It means there's nothing that's going to dissuade you or persuade you to walk away from the thing that you're committed. You know, people, friends of mine, I sometimes that um, go through water baptisms and they have water baptism services. We give out Bridge Community Church t-shirts, the blue shirts with the little logo on it. But we have other people and friends that we know that have t-shirts and it just says, I'm all in. It's pretty cool. It's another way of saying the exact same thing. Why am I getting water baptized? Because I am his and he leads my life. I don't live my life anymore for myself. I am a fully 100% devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I'm all in. Can I tell you, Jesus was 100% devoted to the will of God and to see his mission being accomplished on earth. He was all in for you and he was all in for me. So we see this theme of the mission all through the first chapter of Mark. Okay, if I fast forward to Mark 1.15, after John was put in prison, Jesus proclaims this about his mission. He says, the time has come, he said, when the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. What is he doing? He's reminding them his mission was to challenge people to repent. And repent means turn away from sinful behavior and embrace the good news. And what is the good news? The kingdom of God is here and God wants you to be in relationship with him. It's all about us knowing God. Later on in the chapter, Jesus calls the disciples. He calls them to not just fish for fish, but to fish for men. And he says, come follow me. And if you come follow me, you're not going to fish for fish. fish. You're going to fish for people. Why? Because he's reminding them the mission that I'm here for is to draw men to God, to be in relationship with God. When you see in Mark, 20, Mark 1, 25, there's a, new, a situation where Jesus quiets evil spirits and he commands the evil spirit to be quiet when he proclaims who he is in that moment. And we don't necessarily understand why he would do that unless we unpack it the perspective that Jesus was all about not being distracted, not to distract, but to stay focused. In verse 34, he healed many and he cast out demons, but he wouldn't let them speak because them speaking would create a distraction from his mission. And when we get to verse 40, we see this passage where he cleans and heals a leopard. And when he heals the leopard, he does something that doesn't really make sense in my mind. I've read this passage so many times over the years, but I think, look how intentional he was. In verse 40 of Mark chapter 1, it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Think about what just happened there, right? So this guy's a leper, okay? We don't understand leprosy in our culture because it doesn't exist in the United States. It does still exist in certain areas of the world, but it's not the kind of illness or disease that you would ever want to have because it basically rots your flesh and it falls off. Your body parts begin to fall off. Not to be graphic, but that's true. And it's highly contagious. When people were lepers, they were cast out of the community. They had to stay far from people. No one was allowed to touch them because they would contract leprosy. When you got too close to them, they had to, according to Jewish law, they had to proclaim that they were unclean. Think about what that would do to your own personal identity, your own identity and your well-being. Every time someone would get close to you, I'm unclean. I'm unclean, right? For any of you that didn't shower this morning, right? Could you imagine? If you had to come in this, maybe you didn't shower for a few days. Could you imagine if you went without a shower for a week and you had to walk in and tell everybody, you know, during the greeting time, I haven't showered since Sunday. I haven't showered since Sunday. I haven't showered since Sunday. People would be like, stay away from you, right? Everyone would know who that is because you'd be sitting over here by yourself. Not that you guys are those people, but but you're sitting over here. But and everyone else would be on this side of the room. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's devaluing. And the leper comes to him and he says, if you're willing, heal me. Jesus says he's willing. The leprosy leaves the man. Look what Jesus does in verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Do you ever think about why Jesus would do that? Why would he do that? Okay, I understand the first part when he says, he sends him away and he goes, hey, or the second part I could say, go show yourself to the priests. Go show yourself to the priests because Jesus was following Jewish law and he had a high regard for the law. He was not here to abolish the law. He wasn't here to be a renegade against the Jewish law. He was here to fulfill the law. And he said, I'm healing you according to the law. You're supposed to go show yourself to the priest. And if the priest affirms that you are healed, you can now go back into society. And God gets the glory because the priest affirms it and all the people will see. So he was very much in line with the the law. Okay, I get that part. But the first part I don't really get. Don't tell anybody that you were healed. Now, if you were a leper cast out of society with no relationship, you couldn't touch anyone, you couldn't have a meal with anybody, how hard would it be if you were clean to say nothing to anyone? And yet Jesus tells them, this is a miracle. Your life has been transformed. Don't share it with anyone. It doesn't make any sense to me unless we look at it through the view of Jesus' mission. Because here's the thing, Jesus didn't come to physically heal our bodies. I just, be careful when I say this because I'm not saying we don't believe in physical healings today. That was not his mission, guys. He did not come here to physically resurrect everyone's body. He didn't come here to abolish every physical disease while he was on earth. He didn't come to do that. His mission was beyond that. His mission was a heavenly kingdom mission. He uses those things to show the authority of God, but to draw people towards the big mission. And what was the mission? That all of us could be in restored relationship with the Father. That was his mission. Anything that would distract him from accomplishing his will, 
he would avoid. Could you imagine today? Could you just imagine today if this nobody Jesus who came out of the wilderness shows up in someone's world, shows up in a church service, shows up, he probably wouldn't go to church service in this situation. He'd go anywhere. He's someone who's sick, someone who's dying, and he heals this person. The person then proclaims to the world that this guy was, he healed him. In moments, it would make headline news, right? In moments, his Facebook page would take him from a friend status to a public figure, right? In moments, he would have millions of followers on Twitter and Instagram. Everyone would be looking when his next tour date was and when he would be going to the city near you to be healed. That's what would happen to him. He would go from a nobody to a mass public figure overnight, instantaneously. And what happens in the midst of that, you could say, yeah, but look at, the, look at the influence he would have. That completely is the opposite of what his desire was because people, when they look at the miracle, are less interested in the relationship with God and more interested in the thing. Think about that just through a practical perspective. Examples all through scripture. Jesus drew crowds. Right? He drew crowds. But he spoke in parables. And the disciples didn't understand why. Because parables are confusing, aren't they? They, they, What? What is he talking about here? But there's this seed, and what does this mean? And I don't understand, and why is there a coin in this? I don't know what you're talking about. And the disciples would go, why do you speak in parables? You know what Jesus said? He's like, well, I'm doing it in a way to confuse people. What are you talking about? Because he wasn't there to draw a crowd. He was there to identify those whose hearts were looking for God. You hear what I'm saying? He wasn't interested in becoming a sideshow healer. He wasn't interested in being the guy that just touched everybody and everybody was healed and thank you, God, and then they leave. You know what happens in situations like that? There's a story in Luke chapter 17 where he comes across 10 different people. They're lepers as he's walking right over the border between Samaria and the Sea of Galilee. That's right the distance between, that's right on the border between the northern kingdom, which was Samaria, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah, okay? And in Judea, and Judea is where like the real Jews lived. Samaria was where like the half Jews lived. So they didn't talk to each other. They weren't in relationship with each other. They were unclean, the, the, the Samarians. They were considered foreigners in that position. Jesus sees 10 lepers on that border. They go to him. He heals all 10 of them. They all go, and only one of them comes back to thank him. And you know which one it was? The foreigner. And he's like, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Why? Because some people are only looking for the miracle, and they're not looking for the relationship. They only want the thing God can give them in the physical and they're not interested in the spiritual. And it's so important for us to understand one is not bad and one is not good. I'm not saying that healing is bad and we shouldn't pursue those. I'm saying we have to ask ourselves and look at things through the lens of Jesus that he doesn't just bring miraculous works through people for the sake of the miracle. He uses the miracle when it affirms his mission. The miracle is there to point us to his mission. What was his mission? To restore relationship between us and God. What is the message he's trying to communicate to us? That he wants us to be in relationship with God. That he's not interested in just performing miraculous works so that our hearts can be tickled for a moment. We can experience a moment of excitement and joy and then go back to living our lives the way that they always have been. He came to change us for eternity and not just temporary. 
Verse 45 shows the consequence of what this man did. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, look, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. See what that man did? He ruined, he ruined one of the opportunities for Jesus to walk into a town, have the conversations, meet with people. Instead, he became a public figure. The people began following him, many of whom for the wrong reasons. How do I know that? Because if you look at some of the miracles that you see when he fed the 5,000, there were thousands of people that followed him. Guys, thousands of people. And then he said something about being a follower of Christ. And he said, you know what? If you want to be my disciple blood. Yeah, ew. Guess what? Everybody left. Think about that. Everybody, God, look what you're doing around us. There is a danger and we have to be careful. Just because there's a crowd, it doesn't mean that there is this move of God going on in the midst of it. Just because there is a crowd, and I'm not pushing against those things. I'm just saying we cannot confuse crowds with God doing things in everyone's heart. It's great for the message to get out there, but let's also be aware of the fact that sometimes it's just what's happening that brings people in out of curiosity. Not every person that hears the message of Christ is going to accept it. Thousands of people pursued Jesus. Thousands of people were fed. Thousands of people experienced a miracle. And then he said, I've got your attention, right? Now, if you really want to be my disciple, you're going to eat my body and you're going to drink my blood. And they all left. They all left. And then he looked at his disciples and you know what he said? Are you going to leave me too? And they said something that was beautiful. Disciples said, Lord, where else would we go? You alone are the one that have the words of life. You alone are the one that have the words of life. You know, the scripture, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. And we need to take a step back sometimes and be reminded that eternal life is not about something that we just experience when we leave this planet. Eternal life, Scripture says in the book of John, is knowing God. Do you know that you can know God? Do you know that you can have relationship with God today? I say this because sometimes during our worship services, sometimes in my own personal worship time, like we sing these songs sometimes, and I can sit there and go, you know what, if I'm not careful, I can get stuck in a rhythm that just is reciting something on a screen. Or I get caught up in an emotional moment. And it's not bad to be emotional towards God. I mean, he was compassionate and loving and he wept. That's not a bad thing. But we can get caught up in the wrong thing, forgetting the fact that all of this is about relationship with God. We have a church called Bridge Community Church, not because we want to assemble people together and we want to see if we can manipulate people to believe in this thing that doesn't really exist or we have people that want to learn how to do cool things and people want to serve in children's ministry. Everything that we do, we do like what the world does except we have like a religious stamp on it. We don't do it for that reason. We do it because there's a message that goes beyond that and the message is you can know God. You can have relationship with God. God wants you to have intimate relationship with him. You can hear God. You can interact with God. You can let God through his Holy Spirit encourage you, support you, strengthen you, give you peace when you are anxious. He can heal you, but he can also give you peace in the midst of the storm. 
This is the message of the gospel, friends. It's something that we can receive and we can achieve today, right now. And God was so passionate about you knowing him that he bankrupted heaven by allowing his son to come. And then Jesus was so focused on his mission that everything that was in the way, he looked away from, fully devoted, fully compelled, because his mind and his thoughts were always on doing the will of God and the joy set before him, it says in Hebrews. And what was the joy set before him? Doing the will of the Father and seeing his people restored in relationship with the Father. Think about how incredible that is, that God wanted you so badly that he would allow his son to come to earth to die so that you and I could have relationship with him again. Who in our right mind would lay our lives down for someone that's unworthy? I mean, I have three children. I can't even imagine the concept of letting one of my own children lay their own life down for someone who hated me. Could you? Could you choose which one of your kids if you have multiple children? Make it even more intense. What if you only have one child? See, when you have three, four, or five children, it's definitely hard, but let's be honest, at least you have four left. I'm not marginalizing that. I'm saying you have to pick one. It's grieving. But what if you only have one child? What if that one child is the child that you have to choose? to Say, I'm going to give that child's life away for the sake of somebody that hates me, for the sake of someone who works against me, who believes they know better than I do, but I am the one who's in charge of the creation in the world. What would that look like? Can we imagine doing that? And yet that's exactly what God did for you and I. And when Jesus came, his mission was compelling. When Jesus came, he absolutely was focused on establishing and continuing his mission so that nothing would separate us from God. You know what's so great about this restoration? Is that he's still committed to it today. As he died, as he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 33 and 34. Who dares accuse us? Whom God has chosen for his own. No one, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And look, he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. The mission of Christ didn't end when he ascended to heaven. The mission of Christ continues today. And can I tell you, as we offend God while we sin, as we fumble through our human nature and our imperfect nature, and you know, like little kids trying to make beautiful things out of mud pies, and Jesus sees the offense over and over again, and God sees the offense and the sin of mankind, God continues, figuratively speaking, to have his son sitting at his right hand saying, Dad, don't look at their sin. Look at me. Don't look at their sin. Look at me. Once and for all, I paid the price on that cross. Don't look at their sin, God. Father, you look at me because you sent me and I walk through that life so that every offense they ever commit against you, every offense they ever commit against me, every offense they ever grieve your spirit through, I paid for on that cross. And today, his mission continues for you and for me. Isn't that awesome?
today. That means we can walk with an attitude of encouragement and strength, not in ourselves. My goodness, never ever work in, walk and encourage or strengthen ourselves. When we do that, we're in big trouble. But we walk through the doors of a church. We interact with people. Oh man, I, I don't know if I could take communion this morning because I really sinned this week or look what I did this morning or the blow up that I had and I just feel guilty and you know, God is never going to, to, to be able to, to, to welcome me into I just feel so alienated and separate from God. No! Jesus pleads for you at the right hand of the Father and he says, he sinned, but I died for his sin. So we can sit here this morning. We can stand here and worship God. We can be reminded each and every day, guys, every day, that we can never be good enough, but it was done on the cross. And Jesus continues to remind the Father every day that though we are imperfect and broken, he makes us whole again through his death and his sacrifice. Amen? This is why the, the message of the gospel is never about being good enough. You and I will never be good enough. But through the mission of Jesus, we have been forgiven, we have been saved. And our eternity is secure because of his work. And ask the worship team to come up as we get ready to close in a few moments. And I want you to just take a few minutes if you can. This is going to be, like I said, a 16-week series. Each week looking at something a little bit different about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Can I remind you this morning? He is completely committed to the mission of God to restore relationship between you and the Father. You know, there's a myth that I think we need to be reminded of today. And I know at times I've bought into this. Maybe some of you had too. But there's this, this lie and this myth that people have in their minds that they're just finding, they're looking their entire life. For, for those who are in Christ trying to identify their purpose. I just need more time to know what God wants me to do. I just need more time to know what God's will is for my life. I just need to know where God wants me to go. And we spend so much time waiting, thinking, praying, seeking that we miss the whole point that God did not send his son so that one day we could do something great for the kingdom of God. He sent his son so we could walk humbly with God the Father. He sent the son of God so that you and I could spend our days in relationship with the Father. And it's not about what we do for him. It's about how close we are to him in relationship. So if you're here this morning and you've been asking yourself what your purpose is, if you've been asking yourself what your life needs to look like, I'm a follower of Christ, I just don't know what my purpose is, I don't know what God wants me to do, can I tell you, be in relationship with God right where you are. Bloom exactly where you're planted, right where you are. Go deep in relationship with him right where you are. Don't make it about the next place God wants you to go or the next thing God wants you to do. Start by saying, my will is going to be your will. I'm going to flourish exactly where I am because that's what it's about. We've taken this and we've ripped it off and I'm looking especially at our younger generations and I'm thinking, what is it what is it about our younger generations that they're taking longer and longer and longer to grow up? They're taking longer and longer to get out and to actually make a difference in the world for the kingdom. And some of them, they're, they're not even doing it. They're just doing stuff for themselves 
or they're just aimless and searching going, what's my purpose? What's my will? What am I supposed to be about? And can I tell you, if they ask those questions, if you're one of those people that ask the question, it's not about where God wants you to go. It's about how close he wants you to be with him. Start there. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. What does it mean? Bloom where you're planted. And he will direct your paths. Do you know that God's mission will never be thwarted? Do you know that the mission that Jesus has for you will never change? And do you know as he stands or sits before the Father and pleads and intercedes on your behalf, as the Apostle Paul calls followers of Christ to become imitators of God, that same mission applies to us. That we're supposed to become like Christ. His mission was to lead people to God. My mission is to lead people to God. You know, you can do that if you're a pastor. You know, you can do that if you're a corporate person. You can do that if you own your own business. You can do that if you work in retail. You can do that if you're a medical professional. You can do that if you're a landscaper. You can do that if you're unemployed. You can do that if you're a student. Your mission is to lead people to God. My mission is to lead people to God. It's not about, God, what trip should I go on? What country do you want me to move to? What, whatever. And those are not bad questions to ask if your relationship with God is tight. But we have examined ourselves and we have replaced knowing God for doing. Do you know what your mission is? It's to be salt and light right where God has planted you right now. And can I tell you, if God has called you to the place that you're in right now, be light to those around you. Speak love to those around you. Walk in power, not your own power, but walk in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, love the church with all of your might. We live in such an individual society now. I don't even have to be a part of a church. I can just love Jesus. Oh, that's nonsense. Jesus died for the church. He said the way believers love each other is the way the world will know I'm real. Love those that are around you. Care for those where the needs need to be. Be about loving others the way God loved us through his son. And the mission continues. Would you take a moment and stand, please? I just want to ask if you would maybe close your eyes and just take a moment. See, what I found in my own life, right or wrong, but this is the way it works for me, is that making a conscious choice to do doesn't usually have the kind of fruit that it should. But when I make a conscious choice to ask God to help me know him better, that motivates me to do. So with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we just take a few moments and just invite the Holy Spirit to help us know God more today. God, we want to know you. Just your words to him. Would you just take a few moments and just remind him that you want to know him more. Maybe your priorities have been rooted in what you do. 
Maybe you feel like you're, you're just running and you're moving and you're, you're, you're spinning your wheels and you're saying, Lord, I just, I'm doing these things for you, but I don't feel close to you. And can I tell you, if that's where you are this morning, stop doing and start being. Stop doing and start being. All the scriptures that you see in the Old and New Testament that talk about the peace of God, the peace of God are not connected to everything we do for him, but it's in who we know. Wait on the Lord. For those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings as eagles. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all my heart. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is light. All these scriptures all speak to the same thing. God He uses us for his kingdom. There's no question about that. And he does miracles through his people. There's no question about that. But can we just be careful to never flip the upside down, flip the priority upside down? That it's about what we can do for God instead of what we can be about, which is to know God. Because when we flip it upside down, we get burnt out. We start being instead of doing, we get refreshed. When we do instead of be, we get angry, sometimes at God, sometimes at others. When we're about doing instead of being, we can feel justified. God wants us to be this morning, church. He wants us to rest in his love and to know him each and every day. So I ask you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, do you know him today? Do you know his love for you today? Do you know that his mission has never been thwarted and it never will? God's mission will always, always be fulfilled. Father, as we take a few moments this morning and our team sings this song, may we be reminded of your love love never fails. God, your love never fails. Do you believe that this morning, church, that God's love never fails for you? Do you believe that God's love for you can never be thwarted? Do you believe that God's mission for you can never change? Holy Spirit, invite, we invite you into this place today. Change our hearts.